PJ Sparks, Barbie Wild, Mick Strong, Tom McLaughlin, Beyond the Void Horror Podcast, Jonathan Tiersten, William Lustig, Ira Hyden, CJ Graham, Jaretta Jaretta, Drew Marvick, Simon Bamford, The Whorehaven Podcast, Tom Matthews, and Nicholas Vince. Featuring Ari Lehman and the band First Jason, the Queen of Screams Malvolia, and many more. And now, your host, Chunky Larry. A live audience! This is going to be really scary! Hello and welcome fellow insomniacs to the 2017 Horror Hall of Fame. Yes, thank you. I am your host. My name is Chunky Larry and this is something that I have been dreaming of ever since I was a young boy and in October of 1990, an Oscar-style special hit the airwaves. This special catered to the darkness within us all as an annual celebration of the macabre with host Robert Englund. The Horror Hall of Fame became a ritual for a portly young man who would go on to create a podcast celebrating the dark art that we call horror cinema. Now, 25 years later, I resurrect this tradition with some of the best and brightest that the horror genre has to offer as we pay tribute to our past, but I cannot do this alone. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce the mistress of ceremonies, the woman of my nightmares, Malvolia, the queen of screams. such a chilling introduction. I guess I'll hold off murdering you until after the show's over. 
Our first presenters know that the family that slays together stays together. The director and star of the upcoming Death Ward 13, Todd and Ashley Mary Nunez. Well, here he was. They could save each other the way the poets promised lovers should. He was mystery. He was darkness. He was all she had dreamed of. And if she would only free him, he would service her. Oh, yes. Until her pleasure reached that threshold that, like all thresholds, was a place where the strong grew stronger and the weak perished. Pleasure was pain there and vice versa, and he knew it well enough to call it home. In November 1986, Clyde Barker released the novella The Hellbound Heart, a dark sexual glimpse into the imagination of one of the modern masters of horror literature. That same year, production began on what would serve as Barker's first foray in directing, an accentuation of the writer's vision that would go on to spawn nine sequels and give birth to the frightening wardens of hell, the Cenobites. Ladies and gentlemen, the first inductee into the 2017 Horror Hall of Fame, Hellraiser! He's recognized as one of the leading horror and fantasy writers with titles such as Weeb World, The Great and Secret Show, and Imagica becoming huge international bestsellers. I lived in very conventional, rather reassuring circumstances, but feeling that my imagination was pushing me into areas of, of darkness and anxiety, unease, and also into areas where... Uh, where those very conventional elements, where those very reassuring elements were just blown away. Doors opened within those environments and things came through those doors. I mean, that was very much what was going on in my imagination. You promised me an explanation. This is it. Let me no, see. don't touch it. It's dangerous. It opens doors. What kind of doors? doors to the pleasures of heaven or hell. I didn't care which. I thought I'd gone to the limits. I hadn't. The Cenobites gave me an experience beyond the limits. Pain and pleasure. Indivisible. Hellraiser is a movie that takes you to the limits of horror and then beyond. In a lot of ways, Hellraiser is of its time and not of its time. Um, uh, it, it has elements of the slasher movie about it, um, but it is not that. It's principally not that, I think, be because of, of the Cenobites, which brings in a whole other level to the, to the film. In a lot of ways, Hellraiser is a gothic 
part of it. It's not just a slice-up movie. This film is, um, it's deeper than that. It's not just in it for the gore. There's a lot of human interest going on. Come to daddy. Oh my God. Come to daddy. I met Clive a couple of years after I attended drama school in Crouch End, a place called Mountview, where I was at school with uh, Simon Bamford, who plays Butterball. And Simon had met Clive and was working with the Dog Company, which was Clive's fringe theatre company. And um, he invited me to a party, and Clive was there. And I and uh, he just we got on very well, and he, I modelled for him. If you, when they did a second edition of the Books of Blood, Clive painted the covers for the Books of Blood, and I'm on one, two, three, four. Well, bits of me are on four, at least. <laughs> My face you can see on two, um, but otherwise I know that I posed for, for those things. Right. So, and he just asked me, would I like to be in a movie? Yes. Um, <laughs> And there's, a, there's some makeup involved. From talking to Clive, I knew that he had been human. Um, but I didn't know who, and I didn't know when. So I didn't know whether it was last week, or last month, or 20 years ago, or a thousand years ago. Um, but I knew that that was there, and I, I did use it, because I uh, sensed very much uh, um, uh, when I first got to look at myself in the mirror with the pinhead makeup on. Uh, amongst a lot of feelings and emotions that swept over me in about 30 seconds when I, when I first saw that was a tremendous sense of melancholy, um, which Clive punched up because in the first day of filming, he kept giving me one note, which was do less. Just take it down, do less, take it down, do less. Which is difficult as, as an actor, you know, we like to feel that we're we're out there acting for our for our bread um, but what I was learning uh, and what Clive was taking me to was making friends with the makeup and knowing that if 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 my face is dead the makeup is doing it for me and that punched up that sense of melancholy which I um, I if you pardon the expression I pinned on to this idea that that uh, that he had an awareness of having once been human, which I linked to his interest and fascination in humans. I've read enough about the way the movies work to realize that very possibly if I remained a writer I would never see a movie that I liked from my work. Um, so I thought, well, I can't do any worse than these movies. I might, do not, I might not do significantly better, but I, I really don't think I can do any worse. And I sat down with some friends, and uh, we calculated what we could get for a million dollars. You know, a modest number of actors and a modest number of special effects. And I had written a novella called The Hellbound Heart, and 
we agreed that this was not a bad start. Uh, so I turned that into a screenplay, uh, and we hiked it around England first, hoping we would find the, the you know, the, the money we needed here. Came close. We have such sights to show you. Clive Barker's wonderful. I, I think because he wrote it as well as directing it, that he knows what he wants. He just relates to you on a, an honest one-to-one -one basis. It's not this director, you were working for me type of attitude at all. You can only go from your own experience. My life has absolutely been transformed by the imaginative possibilities offered to me by artists. Isn't that one of the reasons why we go to books and paintings and, and theater and movies? We go because we want our lives enriched, and that enrichment is a kind of change. Uh, we want our pain illuminated, and if it's illuminated, maybe it isn't quite so terrible. look like I'm doing. I'm trying to figure out the lament configuration puzzle box. Duh. Okay, while you're doing that, I will have the pleasure of announcing Nicholas Vince, Simon Bamford, and Barbie Wilde. Oh, look, I got it. I did it. Uh, no, you don't. Ah. Oh. Thank you very much indeed, Justin, um, and I'm honored to be here. I uh, uh, just want to thank everybody, really. Um, obviously, Hellraiser has been a huge part of my life. Um, and who would have thunk it when I was standing in North London in rubber and leather um, on a film set, chattering my teeth, that you know, 30 years later I should be receiving this honor. Uh, or that the film should be receiving this honor. Um, and therefore, you know, the people that I have to thank, obviously, first of all, is Clive Parker, who uh, wrote the original novella, Hellbound Heart, and created and wrote the script, uh, and then directed it in such a wonderful way. And all the crew, for um, example, uh, Robin Vision, who, did, who was the DOP, but obviously everybody at Image Animation, Bob Keane, um, Nigel Booth, who created the Chatterer makeup, and um, Jeff Portis, who was the makeup supervisor. Um, all those people, obviously, I owe a huge debt of gratitude to. And obviously, most importantly, um, the enthusiasts uh, who've watched Hellraiser, who introduce Hellraiser to new generations um, every so often, 
And it's not just, you know, it's not like we're talking to the people only who saw it when the first the movie first came out. We're talking to young people um, who are affected and love Hellraiser. So, uh, and note the word enthusiast. Clive doesn't like the word fan. He says people are enthusiasts. Um, so, th my thanks to everyone for um, being here today um, and this wonderful award ceremony. And yeah, that's it. And, you know, stay calm, stay cool, and stay spooky. Thank you so much. This, this is, this is uh, extraordinary. Um, when, when I was a, a small child growing up in Transylvania, um, and I, I never would have believed that all these years later um, that I would be standing on this stage with, with uh, Barbie and Nick and Doug accepting this extraordinary award. Um, I don't know if, if, if you're aware, but most, both my parents were killed um, a long time ago. Uh, my nanny hanged herself from the balcony. Um, and um, I ended up growing uh, up in a, in a small town um, with my uncle, who um, loved to use chainsaws and things. So, and, and I've come so far since then. And um, of course, it wasn't since um, until I met uh, Doug, and he tore my soul and apart and, and, and brought me to to hell. Um, that, 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 that I got involved in in in, uh, in the film industry. So, um, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, my goodness. Um, all I can say is that I promise we will bring more terror and tear more souls and bring more fear into the world because there really isn't enough of it at the moment. Thank you. I'd like to thank the Horror Hall of Fame and Creature Features for this wonderful award. It's been a privilege and an honor to be in something so unusual, so original, an event by such a genius as Clive Barker. Hellbound Hellraiser 2, basically being in that film did change my life because I would never have started writing horror and I wouldn't have made the amazing friends and contacts that I have now. So. This film has a lot of meaning for me. And I'm doing a very serious version of this, obviously, compared to what came before me. But um, I think it's, it's important to point out that we would all not be here, we wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for Clive coming up with this extraordinary idea in, in the Hellbound Heart novella. And uh, I've actually written three female Cenobite stories that are in my uh, collection of short horror stories called Voices of the Damned, based on his mythology that he created in the Hellbound Heart. And it's, it's just gone on and on forever, hasn't it? I mean, everyone talks about the first two films, but the franchise continues in various forms of originality or not, as the case may be. But that just goes again to show what an iconic, amazing thing that Clive invented. He invented 
a new form of monster. And I'm very happy to say that I am one of those monsters. And it's not every day that a little blonde gal can say I scared people to death when they watched my movie. So um, I'm very, very happy to accept this award. Thank you so much for Hall of Fame and Creature Features. Listen to them, you will be sleeping with the fishes. Ladies and gentlemen, the Horror Mafia Podcast. Chris and his girlfriend Rose go upstate to visit their parents for the weekend. At first, Chris reads the family's overtly accommodating behavior as nervous attempts to deal with their daughter's interracial relationship. But as the weekend progresses, a series of increasingly disturbing discoveries lead him to a truth that he never could have imagined. You just get out. I want to introduce you uh, to some friends. This is uh, David and Marcia Wincott, Ronald and Celia Jeffries, Hiroki Tanaka, and Jessica and Friedrich Walton. Too many names to remember, but hi. <laughs> Do you find being African-American as more advantage or disadvantage in the modern world? <laughs> oh. It's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Hey! Yo, my man. They were asking me about the African-American experience. Maybe you could take this one. Oh. Well, well. I find that the African-American experience for me has been, for the most part, very good. Although, I find it difficult to go into detail as I haven't had much a desire to leave the house in a while. <laughs> become such homebodies. Yes, 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 but even when you go into the city, I've just had no interest. The chores have become my sanctuary.
Get out. Sorry, man. Okay. Get out! Yo! 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 Chill, man. Get out! Chill! Get out! Chill! Chill, man! Presenting the next inductee is a man who loves to watch, but isn't afraid to take center stage. The director of Voyeur, Dakota Thomas. A summer camp, a shy little girl on the brink of womanhood, and a series of bizarre, gory deaths are the puzzle pieces that fit together to describe the next film to be inducted here tonight. But before that, one must understand how this film came to be. The 1980s will forever be known as the golden era for horror, especially the slasher genre. Films like Halloween and Friday the 13th paved the way and proved that independent movies with low budgets could dominate the box office and rival any big studio releases. With that in mind, Robert Hiltzik, a young and ambitious New York writer-director, set out in 1983 to create a film that would not only hopefully bring him financial success by tapping into the lucrative genre, but also terrify moviegoers. What he ended up with was a film that has lasted the test of time. A film that has the honor of being considered a cult classic. A film that is notoriously known for having one of the most shocking endings to have ever graced the silver screen. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sleepaway Camp. You're going to enjoy living with us so much. Yes, I know you are. As a welcome home present, I bought you such wonderful new clothes. I just hope that Richard doesn't get jealous that I didn't get him anything. Ah, but then he is such a dear, I'm sure that he won't mind. You see, I've always wanted a little girl. Sleepaway camp is a very interesting environment. You know, you have very young kids that for the first time, they have no adult supervision in their lives. So they pretty much form their own community. Uh, and they can they they act very independently now that the, the adult supervision is gone. Look at all that young fresh chicken. Where I come from, we call them baldies. Makes your mouth water, don't it? Party. They are too young to even understand what's on your mind. Then, good buddy, there ain't no such thing as being too young. You're just too old. In the beginning of the 1980s, a new wave of horror cinema was being brought to a bloodthirsty audience. The gothic tales of vampires had given way to a new breed of terror, trading castles for the tranquil setting of summer camps. It was in this wave of films that director Robert Hiltzik unleashed a menacing coming-of-age nightmare that played on perception while blending prepubescent urges 
with a level of sadism that teetered on barbarism, and a finale that startled moviegoers for generations. We did it in 1982. I was 13 years old, so just make me uh, <laughs> I believe that I've forgotten something. Now what can it be? Oh, I remember what it is. I knew I wouldn't forget. I just kept reminding myself. In fact, I tied a string around around my finger so I wouldn't forget. See? And I didn't. Never can be too careful. The film really at that time didn't take off. It was years later that the children that saw it when they were 11 years old, 14 years old, that became young adults. It was that generation that really fell in love with uh, the horror film Sleepaway Camp and it took off. Because I don't want the kids or their parents to know that this ever happened, you understand? I'm so happy that people think I played the biggest bitch of all time, uh, or one of them at least. That's incredible and I never knew that you thought that before, so I'm really happy. Um, plus, my kids think that it's so cool. Come on. Even more surprising than the violence was the sexual ambiguity that permeated throughout the film. I played Angela. She is the killer. Spoiler. And it was a little bit of a freaky film. It got some attention because I play this, um, you know, transvestite character, and you don't expect it from this little teenage girl and I go around killing kids at camp. So, um, back then, it did really well in theaters, and sure enough, around the year 2000, there was a lot of internet buzz, it, it came back around, and there was a resurgence of sorts with websites and, and fans wanting us to go to, you know, conventions. Oh, well, that's all water under the bridge, as I always say, water under the bridge. But it certainly will be a nice little surprise when Richard comes home to find a little girl in the house. Yes, I've always dreamed of a little girl just like you. I mean, we already have a boy, so another one simply would not do. Oh, no, absolutely not. A little girl would be so much nicer, don't you think so, Angela? Angela, such a lovely name. Why, I believe it means angel. Why, yes, I'm sure it does. I know you're going to like that name. Won't you, Peter? It is now my distinct privilege to welcome out the stars of Sleepaway Camp. 
please give it up for Felissa Rose and Jonathan Tiersten. Dakota, thank you for that poignant, thoughtful, and very detailed walk through memory lane. Uh, if Felissa and I have learned anything over 35 years is that sleepaway camp is bigger than the two of us combined. Um, and the only way to endure the albatross is to learn to hug it more tightly than it hugs you. This is the 35th year, on the 36th year, we will probably receive some other award and we will always and forever be grateful. And thank you, Chunky Larry, for making this all happen. I just wanted to thank Creature Features for inducting Sleepaway Camp into the Horror Hall of Fame. It's incredibly amazing to us the fact that 35 years later we're still talking about this movie we made and we appreciate Robert Hiltzik for his writing and directing. Again, thank you for all of the love and support you've shown through all of these years to Sleepaway Camp. Here's to another 35. Thank you. something you guys ladies and gentlemen we are only getting started and we're gonna kick it up a notch once again um, bringing them back out to perform their song off of their second album end of the storm put your horns in the air ladies and gentlemen first Jason
2017 Horror of Hall of Fame. Brought to you by Demented Glove Works. For the most screen accurate gloves nailed right to your door. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Demented Glove Works. Your very own truly Demented Freddy Glove He is a horror fan who found love with a woman just as crazy as him about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. From the Horror Haven podcast, Dylan and Sarah Jarvis. In 2016, French director Julia Ducanaru's film Raw premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. After premiering at many other film festivals and gaining a lot of traction, shocking audiences, it was released in March of 2017 in France. This film follows Justine, a young vegetarian who recently started at a veterinary college. Shortly after arriving at the college, Justine is submitted to hazing in the form of consuming raw meat. What starts as a repulsive act soon turns into an equally repulsive craving. This is Raw. T'es déjà debout? C'est l'heure du petit déj. T'es parti pour nous faire un mijoui? Tu manges quoi? Des céréales. Quelles sont les céréales? Oui, bah ça va, je prends du lait. I tried the paleo diet, but the results didn't agree with me. The closest thing to fast food I got was when they ran. <laughs> Our next presenter doesn't run, but he always gets his man. In his new film, Never Hike Alone, he plays the role of director and the unrelenting killer, Jason Voorhees. Mr. Vincent DeSanti. In the spring of 1985, the Friday the 13th franchise found itself in deep trouble. After building a tremendous following with its first four installments, the series took a stumble with its fifth, A New Beginning, which failed to connect with Friday fans, leading many to believe the series to be as dead as Jason Voorhees himself. Despite the troubled waters, later that year, Paramount Pictures gave the green light to move forward on a sixth installment in an attempt to revive the struggling franchise. 
This would be no easy task and presented a tremendous challenge for those who were chosen to tackle it. And a year later, in August of 1986, an all-new Friday hit the theaters and showed horror fans around the world that there's nothing a few hundred thousand volts of electricity can't fix. Featuring a ramped-up production value, twisted sense of humor, and a truly killer soundtrack, the film will most undoubtedly be remembered for doing the impossible, bringing Jason Voorhees back from the dead and making him scarier than ever before. The film that many at the time were expecting to dismiss went on to become one of, if the not greatest installment in the entire series, and most importantly, it paved the way for Friday the 13th to continue lumbering on, carving its bloody path through cinema history for decades to come. That is why tonight, we choose to honor the most electric film in the Friday franchise, Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. Dig up Jason. Some folks have a strange idea of entertainment. I've always been a more of a gothic horror person. You know, loved Edgar Allan Poe. My first film dealt with um, you know death and and floating corpses and claustrophobia and things. And so I, I wanted to kind of get those elements into this. This was, when, uh, this was an era when basically if you had a killer, an, a knife, a forest, you know, teenagers, you had a pretty good chance of getting a film made. At the height of the genre's popularity, producers had tried to push the Friday the 13th franchise into a different direction, killing off the popular character Jason Voorhees. This decision was met with pushback from audiences invested in the legend of the hockey mask wearing murderer time came to make another Friday. They, they felt that um, there was still, you know, there's still an audience, you know, they still wanted to do another one. They weren't sure exactly what they wanted to do with it, and I was basically given, you know, carte blanche to say, you know, you know, here, here are the films, pick up from here and see what you want to do with it. And um, so my discussions with Frank Mancuso Jr. were really in, you know, how do we make sure this delivers for the audience that it's intended for and from my standpoint I said well I do want to have you know a sense of style and humor with it and he said you know fine just don't make fun of Jason dig him up <laughs> does he think I'm a farthead I began to think it would be great fun to set up scenes and situations to allow the audience to literally provide the punchline so there's a, a few different things in my Friday that have that, and probably the mo the one that was the most noticeable um, was uh, my wife Nancy uh, plays uh, Elizabeth, the um, uh, camp counselor who was killed in the beginning uh, with Tony Goldwyn, and um, she offers in in, in an attempt to try to buy Jason from killing her, offers him money and a, and a credit card, and when she gets killed. She goes down into this puddle, and her hand drops, the money sinks, but the American Express card, you know, kept floating. And I held on that shot intentionally so that somebody in the audience, and it always happened, would yell out, don't leave home without it. 
And then the rest of the audience would crack up, figuring, you know, how clever somebody in the audience was, not realizing that was, you know, purposely done for that. Darren, we better turn around. Why? Because I've seen enough horror movies to know any weirdo wearing a mask is never friendly. With the creative concept in mind, now all the film needed was a killer. special effects people from part four were doing a special effects for a hypnotist we had at the club I was running and they decided to do a scary scene where the subjects were under and here comes Jason breaking through the screen well I am somewhat large or abnormal <laughs> um, so they selected me to do that and for some reason the demeanor that I displayed on the stage at my nightclub impressed the special effects people and uh, they joked a lot and said, hey, we're going to cast you for Friday the 13th next time. And I was like, sure. Part six came around the corner, and lo and behold, I got a phone call to go meet with Frank Mancuso Jr., which I did. And uh, the first time the meeting went well, of course, and the stunt coordinator, Michael uh, Nomad, wanted an individual to do stunts, as did uh, Frank Mancuso. Um, since not being a stuntman, but spending four years in the military prior to that, and having good physical structure, everybody was comfortable with you know, my ability to do it. Uh, but I didn't get cast, for the record. Uh, I did go out to another stunt man, and within three or four days of the first dailies coming in, things changed. I got a call back, went back and met again at Paramount Studios, and within approximately 24 hours, got a phone call asking if I could leave for Covington, Georgia on Monday. No way, you gotta listen to me! Jason's coming here, he's after me! I'm trying to destroy him, but I fucked up! You got that right, punk! First off, Frank Mancuso really wanted to have John Shepard do the role of Tommy again, and he opted not to want to do the role for personal reasons, so we had to start looking for someone that would be like John in terms of a look somewhat, and then also fulfill what I wrote in the script. So Tom Matthews was the perfect candidate. Jason belongs in hell, and I'm gonna see he gets there. You know, I came to the studio about, I don't know, two or three hours early, just to make sure things were set up, and the kids were already lined up. They were so into this movie. I mean, it was, it was amazing. I mean, just to hear, I, I couldn't tell if the movie was working or not working, because they were just constantly talking, yelling, screaming, applauding, laughing. But it, it, there was times you just couldn't tell. Were they just having a party? When the movie was all done, I came up to Frank Mancuso Jr. and I said, I, I guess it worked. What do you think? He goes, oh, yeah, no, it worked great, but we need three more kills. The ambitious horror blended expertly gore and comedy and set the stage for new generations of filmmakers to pick up its lead. I mean, when I first met Kevin Williamson and he said that my Friday when he saw that was, you know, certainly something that had an influence on Scream because it was, as some of the movies were at that time, you know, really kind of having fun with that genre because we had gone, you know, we were mid-80s and at that point so much had happened. It is now with great honor that I ask you to join me in welcoming the film's director, Tom McLaughlin, and stars Tom Matthews and C.J. Graham.
Wow, this is a great honor. Uh, you know, first and foremost, I want to thank the fans for their support uh, in the series. Um, you know, playing Jason was an experience. Uh, not only has it become a worldwide uh, iconic image, the hockey mask, but it's just become phenomenal when it comes to the fans. Um, you know, Tom McLaughlin, of course, thank you for allowing me to play the part. Uh, the script and the directing on your part made the success of the film, uh, you know, bringing back the Jason with the Frankenstein capabilities of a lightning strike, um, very creative. Uh, and, you know, even a shout-out to Alice Cooper, who did the music, Man Behind the Mask, I mean, Hall of Famer. Um, and then last, you know, you always want to thank Tommy. Uh, you know, he, he really thinks that just because I'm a maggot head that uh, I'm not going to come back and kick some butt, but I guess he's got another thing coming because the series continues and uh, Jason just keeps going forward. So, again, it's a pleasure, it's an honor, and I'm glad to be part of the installation. Part 6, Jason Lives, was an amazing experience, and thank you, everyone. Uh, thanks, DJ. still have maggots for brains, I can see. <laughs> it's a, an honor to be added to the uh, Horror Hall of Fame. It was such a privilege for me and very lucky for me to be cast as Tommy Jarvis in Friday the 13th, Part 6. Uh, the fans are still amazing and strong, and it's just been quite a ride for myself and uh, the whole cast. Uh, and Tom McLaughlin is sitting right next to me. Well, uh, uh, thanks, Tom. I, uh, Certainly, uh, wow, you guys are you know, a difficult act to follow here. Uh, what can I say? I mean, I don't think any of the three of us had a clue back in 85 or in 86, I guess. Yeah, geez, 86, that um, we would be up here uh, after 30 something years, you know, accepting a Horror Hall of Fame award. Uh, it's just, I mean, I didn't even know if uh, the fans would even like it. It's, it, it, you know, putting in the humor and things, and having, uh, you know, bringing him back from the dead, so it's a whole different kind of Jason. I, I you know, I didn't know if it was going to work. I don't know how you guys felt, but it was like, okay, I'm going to give it everything I got, and we'll see, you know, what the what the what the fans think. So, I, I mean, I can't thank Creature Features Podcast enough for putting this together, and. Uh, I mean, to actually have an you know, award from a Horror Hall of Fame is an uh, incredible honor because I always look at the, the great legendary horror movies as the ones that are up there, and they should, certainly are the ones that should be in a Hall of Fame. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to me, all of us that were, you know, part of the 80s monsters, uh, Chucky and Freddy and Michael Myers and Pinhead and, of course, the J-Man over there, Maggot Head and... Uh, Hot lips sitting next to me. Uh, standing. I'm sorry. You're right. Standing uh, next to me. And uh, I'm nervous. What can I say? You guys make me nervous. Uh, but thank you guys. Thank you, fans. Thank you, Creature Features Pod. Thank you.
<sighs> Boy, you guys, I hate to be the one that brings down all of the fun, but in the year 2017, we lost a, a handful of just terrific actors and filmmakers. And I, there, there is a countless amount to list, but I put together a list, a small select few that meant a special something in the world of horror. And um, so I'm going to just uh, say those names now. Jonathan Demi, Don Rickles, Martin Landau, Bill Paxton, Sir John Hurt, Harry Dean Stanton, Miguel Ferrer, William Peter Blatty, Umberto Lenzi, Toby Hooper, and George Romero. This is this has been a a rough year. Every year is a rough year when you have to say goodbye to people that you admire. And what I'm going to do going forward, um, starting with this very first award that I'm that I'm going to actually present, and it, this is an award for a very special individual, uh, so much so that he is going to have the award named after him. Uh, I had initially, when we were putting this show together, planned on uh, giving him an award uh, just to honor his legacy in cinema. But in, in spite of his, or because of his passing, I felt it only appropriate that the inaugural recipient of the Romero Award goes to George A. Romero. Zombies cannot run. I say this definitively. As the grandfather or the godfather of zombies, zombies cannot run. So anyone who has a zombie running, don't listen to that person. Their ankles would snap. I mean, you know, what did they do? Go and join a spa the moment they uh, rose from the dead? Give me a break. They're dead. <laughs> I actually started to make films when I was 14 years old with an uncle's uh, 8mm camera. 8mm, not Super 8. I, I love genre stuff always. Uh, and, I, and the easiest thing to do was sort of a little monster movie. So I made a movie called The Man from the Meteor because all I needed was a mask for this guy. That was it. He wore jeans otherwise. I don't know where they bought jeans on whatever, you know, planet Krypton, but... Uh. Filmmaker George Romero has died. His classic Night of the Living Dead gave life to an entire genre of pop culture, and it also transformed this area into one of the capitals of the zombie craze. Anyone who loves a good story about zombies owes a lot to George Romero. His original 1968 cult classic, Night of the Living Dead, set the rules that many imitators follow today. The idea for Night of the Living Dead was actually born just about three blocks from where we are right now. Russ Streiner co-produced Romero's directorial debut. 
and also played the role of Johnny, the first zombie victim. We financed it ourselves uh, out of our own pocket. The cost of the film, $114,000, but the movie made many times more than that, one of the most successful independent movies ever made. Romero's legacy is about much more than the bottom line. Part of his legacy will be uh, that uh, creative, inspirational spark for independence. He was credited on dozens of films, but for Striner and many others, he was more than a filmmaker. I am deeply, deeply saddened uh, about the passing of a longtime friend. Anyone who loves a good story about zombies owes a lot to Romero because, of course, that film was originally put together here in Pittsburgh and then shot at the Monroeville Mall. He was 77 years old. He died after a short stay at the UCLA Intensive Care Unit. Well, you used to really be scared here. Johnny! You're still afraid. Stop it now. I mean it. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it! You're acting like a child! Look, they're coming for you! Look! There comes one of them now! He'll hear you! Here he comes now! I'm getting out of here! Johnny! Well, you know, the fact is that it, 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 uh, when, when the film was first released, uh, it made money. It actually, it cost us about 117000 and uh, it made about 700000 in the first year. In those drive-ins and neighborhood theaters and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we said, wow, this is an easy business. still here. They're after us. They know we're still in here. They're after the place. They don't know why. They just remember. Remember that they want to be in here. What the hell are they? They're us, that's all. There's no more room in hell. What? This is something my granddaddy used to tell us. You know Makumbo? Voodoo. Granddad was a priest in Trinidad. He used to tell us, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. We've given you You've everything given us asked. a mouthful of Greek salad. Formulas, equations, a lot of fancy terms that don't mean a thing. I want to know if you're doing something that's going to help us out of this deep shit we're in. Or if you're all in there just jerking each other off. <laughs> she don't have to jerk off like the rest of us, Captain. She got herself an honest-to-God dick to get off on, huh? <laughs> it may be yellow, but it's still a dick! <laughs> I said we ain't finished here, lady. Sit down. Sit down or so help me God, I'll have you shot. You what? I said, 
I'll have you shot. Have you lost your mind? No, ma'am. Have you? I just told you I was willing to kill you if you didn't get back in your chair. You didn't get back in your chair. God damn it, you can't shove us around like this. Since when did this become a military operation? Since I took over. Steele, shoot that woman. Bang! You're dead! <laughs> shoot that woman or you're dead. You think I'm fucking around, Steele? You're wrong. Now you've got till a count of five, and that's two you wasted. That's three. Four. Down, Sarah. What is this? Shut up and sit down. That's five, Steve. All right. All right.
Fears I know I face them as my castle walls fall. Oh, but I would let those castles tumble. I'd never love at all. I've heard rumors about night riders and Martin, and you know that those would. I think bothered me more than anything else because those are really. I always think of those two films as mine, the most personal films that I've made. And uh, I don't think you can make him without me. Uh, so, uh, and I'm not. That's not. A, uh, you know, I'm not saying hey, hire me to remake it. I just don't think they need to remake it at all. But they're uniquely my ideas. So without me, there's no idea here. But. Um, We'll see. <laughs> I see that life is an open road. There'll be people who stay. There'll be people who go. No, at first it pains me so. I think I'm just learning how to let go. Thank you, George. As you walk through the valley of the shadow of hell, you will realize there is something ahead. Something that lurks beyond the dark veil. A veil that is beyond our own comprehension. Beyond the Void. From the Beyond the Void podcast, Alex King. Sheriff Deputy Carter discovers a blood-soaked man limping down a deserted road. He rushes him to a local hospital with a bare-bones night shift staff. As cloaked cult-like figures surround the building, the patients and staff inside start to turn ravenously insane. Trying to protect the survivors, Carter leads them into the depths of the hospital where they discover a gateway to immense evil. This it's the void. Be 
surprised at the things you find when you go looking. Tell me what you see. Help me! Open his head! presenters are into survival and their dreams are the stuff of nightmares from the upcoming documentary Fredhead's The Springwood Sisterhood Age Joy and Deandra Laser Hey, all you Elm Street fans, it's Deandra and Paige from Elm Street Radio. And it's straight talk only in here. We know who's trying to kill you. He wears a dirty brown hat. He's horribly burned. He has razors on his right hand. Your parents, our parents, they burned him alive. And now we're paying for their sins. You are the last of the Elm Street children. In 1987, Chuck Russell and New Line Cinema released the groundbreaking sequel, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. Since there were not many horror films who could make it to Part 3, that meant there were high expectations. A relatable story of sorts, following several teens in a mental hospital, all suffering from the same pattern nightmares. All sleep-deprived, drugged, angry, and sad. The common thread was Freddy. Guided by their mentor, Nancy Thompson, they learned that in their dreams they had the power to be anything they imagined. They gained strength and courage, and in the end fulfilled their true destiny. They became a dream warrior. Thank you. 
Krueger is every girl's dream and every girl's nightmare. I'm gonna have nightmares! Oh no! Oh no! Freddy is the ultimate nightmare. Freddy's, Freddy's way sociable. He's a party animal. Freddy rocks. Like Freddy is like addicting and you you know it gets better and better each one. Scariest movie I've ever seen in a long time. I, I don't think I'll sleep tonight. Do you know me? I travel all over the world. And the underworld too. Constantly searching for new dreamscapes to invade. Believe it or not, some people still don't recognize me. That's why I carry this. Two had its its serious difficulties, although it did well just based on the on the reputation and uh, and the the growing interest in the storyline and, and particularly in Freddy. The man responsible for creating the character of Freddy Krueger, in addition to writing and directing the first Nightmare on Elm Street film, was Wes Craven. Craven, known for directing the cult horror classics The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, believed that creating Freddy Krueger, a man who didn't care about himself, let alone his victims, would be worth a scream or two, either awake or asleep. On every nightmare, I would go back to Wes Craven and ask him if he was interested. So Wes wrote the original script for Nightmare. I wanted to take it up to the next level. I felt like if I'm going to do another one, I wanted it to be somehow better. I came up with the idea, and then Bruce Wagner and I wrote, I think, a really interesting first draft. Oh my God! <laughs> Bringing Nancy back was, you know, one of the, another hook that I thought was great for the series. Wes Craven called me and asked me if I would mind if he included my character in the script that he was writing for Nightmare 3 and he, he gave me the basic idea of how she comes back and is a psychologist for kids who are having these terrible nightmares. All of you have this inner strength, some special power that you've had in your most wonderful dreams. Together we can learn to use that power if we try. Though the first two films found success theatrically, it was Nightmare on Elm Street 3 that catapulted Fred Krueger into the public eye. So Hold it right there, squidness! If you think I'm gonna settle for just another sleazeball video promotion, you must be dreaming! Show some respect, buddy! This ain't your average drive-in movie schlock we got here! Nightmare 3 scared up $25 million in its first two weeks in release. The total grosses, <laughs> so to speak, are now over $40 million. It scored the biggest opening for any independent film ever. Why? Why, you ask? Freddy Krueger, that's why, sucker. It was a great horror riff on adolescence, on the point in our lives when we all realize the world is not such a nice place. And maybe, think, maybe everything we've learned in school or our parents have told us isn't exactly true. One of the worst threats to them is the parents, <laughs> the good intentions of the parents. I'll let you get me into an argument, not tonight. Now get to sleep. Mom, I'm still having those awful dreams. Elaine, where do you keep the bourbon? I'll be right down. Honey, I've got a guest. And you don't want to keep him waiting. That's right. I don't. I think the Nightmares series, it's a message to parents to please listen to your kid. Your kid's not crazy. Your kid's not making stuff up. To me, that was the metaphor of, of Elm Street. And Dream Warriors took it just a step further.
Ladies and gentlemen, it is our pleasure to induct into the 2017 Horror Hall of Fame Ira Hayden and Mick Strawn. You know, I, I I never win anything, and and here I am, about to be inducted into the horror hall of fame for my work on Nightmare on Elm Street 3. I don't even know what to say. I my hair is in curlers. This is this is absolutely the wrong dress for me. It is the wrong dress for me. I. My, my tits are hanging out. It's, 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 it's just terrible. It's terrible. But I, I want to thank the Academy. Um, that's the Academy for um, underdressed three-year-olds and 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 I- idiots that that watch horror films all the time and and, and, and believe that that Freddy's real. I, I just, I. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say, so I'm not going to say anything. Thank you very much. Bye. Where do I begin? Um, man, I, I first of all would like to thank my manager, Marilyn Sherman, for putting me up for the role of Nightmare on Street 3. I'd like to thank my director, for hiring me on the Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. I'd also like to thank the Dungeons and Dragons world um, for creating the wizard that I was able to portray in the movie. Um, yeah, that would be it right there. I, I would like to, to thank all those people. Oh, and of course, I gotta thank my mom. I, I thank my mom for bringing me into acting and and showing me the good stuff and bringing me out to California to be able to live my dream. Thank you. In the name of Lorik, Prince of Elves, Demon Be Gone. Okay, you guys, one more time. Give it up for first, Jason! All right, all right, all right, Horror Hall of Fame, yeah! Make some noise out there, Horror Hall of Fame. And from our new album, here comes the song, To Be a Monster. And the video for this song has got over 12,000 views. Check it out, pick up this album, First Jason to be a monster. 
He destroys buildings with his mecha words. From the Kaiju cast, Kyle yawned. Shin Godzilla was directed by Hideaki Anno and Shinji Higuchi and essentially reboots the entire Godzilla mythos with an all-new design and CGI effects for Toho. The Japanese Coast Guard discovers an abandoned pleasure yacht in Tokyo's bay. During their investigation, a large aquatic creature appears and then slowly makes its way into Japan, causing chaos and destruction along the way. This is a Japan that's never encountered a giant monster before, and as such, the government is nearly crippled and completely unequipped to take on this new organism. The invader begins evolving in defense against the military's attacks, but escapes into the sea, leaving the Japanese government looking to rebuild the destruction. The monster is identified as Godzilla, and it reappears off the coast of Kamakura, double the size of his last appearance, making his way towards Tokyo, crushing everything in his path. After Godzilla's cataclysmic attack on Tokyo, a small group of independent thinkers must work together and develop a plan to stop this massive radioactive beast before it destroys Japan and potentially the world. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Shin Gojira.
Our next presenter is a man after my own heart and liver and spleen, the creator of the Volumes of Blood series, PJ Starks. There are two films that burned a horrifying memory into my brain. The first being George Romero's immortal classic Dawn of the Dead, and the other being the Italian action horror film Demons, which was directed by Lumberto Bava and produced by Dario Argento. Demons definitely has a special place in my personal omnibus of horror greats. While the film released theatrically in October of 1985, I wouldn't have the chance to watch it until 1988 when I was but a mere six years old. The stark visceral imagery and grotesquerie of incredible special effects makeup would stick with me long after the credits rolled. It definitely served as nightmare fuel for years to come. And rightfully so, Demons would and still does create a true sense of dread and and watching it today takes me back to a time where the six-year-old me sat with wide eyes and sweaty palms as a theater full of patrons were attacked and transformed into terrifying creatures. The film relies more heavily on tension and gore than characterization and plot, but that doesn't alter the juxtaposition of serving as a frightening ascent into the depths of of human suffering while still being a disgustingly fun romp that is a gory feast for horror fans everywhere. The special effects makeup is part of what makes this film so memorable. When the character Carmen transforms into a demon, it's, it's damn near a as effective if not on par with David Naughton's transformation in An American Werewolf in London. We also get some interesting and unforgettable characters thrown into the mix, such as Rosemary, played by the gorgeous Jaretta Jaretta, who would also become one of Celluloid's most chilling on-screen demons. Growing up a fan of demons, a a film that would later help build the foundation for my own horror pursuits, I never dreamed I'd be given the opportunity to induct any of its members into a Horror Hall of Fame. Therefore, this pleasure is truly mine. Cemeteries, their cathedrals, and tombs, your cities. It's the movie. What about the movie? I don't know how to explain it. It's just a feeling. The movie's to blame for all this. She's right. 
She put on that mask and scratched herself. Get it? Because of that scratch, she became a demon. An instrument of evil. Like they said in the damn movie, you heard them. Right? Yes. We gotta stop it. <laughs> Believe me, we gotta stop the movie. And they were both on set all the time, and they would confer, but mostly uh, Lamberto did the directing, and Dario was there as the producer. Thrilling. Dangerous. They ain't gonna get me. That's for sure. Just a few adjectives that describe Lamberto Bava's 1985 horror masterpiece, Demons. Co-written by Baba and Italian horror icon Dario Argento, this subversive visionary project blended expertly the exquisite makeup effects from Sergio Stivaletti with some of the heaviest music of the decade. The Italian way of working is, it really is a family, so everyone's on the set, we all know each other, and you come prepared, obviously, and you just do your job, and people laugh, they joke, and... Then you do the shot, and then you do another one, and seven seconds. Son of a bitch! Shit! George, look at her fingernails! It's nothing. It's just a scratch. I tell you one thing, this is the last complimentary ticket I'll ever accept from anybody ever again. Me too. Make three of us. It's my honor to induct actress Dreda Dreda into the Horror Hall of Fame. Oh my goodness. 
goodness. <laughs> well, I didn't realize that I would even come up. I just thought, I don't, I, why would I think the actresses wouldn't be included? But anyway, oh, I don't have anything prepared. Um, um, all right, I'd love to, and I just want you to know how honored I am to be included in the Horror Hall of Fame with this movie that we did so long ago, and I can't believe the creature features and all the fans and all the friends, actually, at this point, um, remember us and like us, and for my little bit in the movie, because even though it's kind of got a big impact, I'm only in it at 12 minutes, so... Thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone who loves demons, and the real name is Demoni, and I am Sergio and Lamberto and Dario and Bobby and everybody and all the other people in the movie too. Um, from the bottom of our hearts, gracias, 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 gracias. I'm so proud. Inducted into the Horror Hall of Fame for Demoni. Gracias. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Oh boy, we are almost done. We are almost out of here. I promise you guys, thank you for being as gracious of guests and, and applauding everybody as much as you have. Uh, we are going to uh, do one more 2017 preview, and then we have our final inductee. But for our final preview, I want to bring out the host of Black Cat Shadow, friend of mine. Mr. Phantom Dark Boy. Four years have passed, and Nika dwells in the colorless asylum. She is bound to a wheelchair and sleeps in a bed of lies. Her doctor attempts to convince her that she is responsible for the murders of her family. Just as she starts to believe him, evil returns to finish the job. Now, with the help of an original victim, Together they can face the miniature evil that proves big things come in small packages. Prepare for the seventh installment of a franchise that always reminds us that we are friends till the end. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Cult of Chuck.
You know, I love being me, and I love my job. Especially the look on my victim's face when they realize in that final moment that it's all really happening. A children's toy is actually beating them to death with a yardstick, or setting them on fire, eviscerating them. All actual examples. A few years ago, I came across this groovy new spell on VoodooForDummies.com that changed everything. Now, I can be me. And me. And me. And theoretically, anyone or anything with two legs and a hand to stab it. and fun, but I love blood and gore. Our final presenter knows how to have fun in the sun while he slices and dices. The director of the pool party massacre, Drew Marvick. In the fall of 1979, principal photography begins on a guerrilla-style passion project by young filmmaker William Lustig. The blending of Lustig's visual style with the gore of effects master Tom Savini and the bone-chilling performance by Joe Spinell led to one of the most unique and haunting looks at madness ever committed to film. I give you Maniac. Now the latest breaking eyewitness news with Jerry Dumphy, Christine Lund, Ed Arnold for Ted Dawson with sports, Johnny Mountain with the weather, and the eyewitness news team. Horror movie opened tonight in Hollywood officially and all over the Los Angeles area. There's a lot of controversy over this one, which is why we're paying attention to it. Feminists in particular have said that this is a film that promotes harm to women. Are you tell me what I should do? I heard about it. I always do. I can't go out for a minute. It's impossible. We became friendly because we both shared a, a love of film, and especially horror films. Joe and I first started off by talking about films, and then we began going to 42nd Street together to catch the latest double feature of horror films. I recall us going three in the morning to see a movie called Hollywood Hillside Strangler. We couldn't believe how bad it was, and we began saying, we can do a picture ourselves and do it better. And I thought they were crazy, a maniac, and I said, if you ever shoot this thing, where are you going to play it? Who's going to play this thing? You're not going to get in the theaters. The movie is Maniac, and the billboards themselves are pretty gruesome. Moviegoers tonight told me the plot is, a man who hated his mother goes out and kills women. Besides the billboard, the picture is also advertising as the movie the L.A. Times wouldn't run ads for. Fancy girls and their fancy dresses and that lipstick. Laughing and dancing. Don't you 
stop without you. I can't stop him. But you do, don't you? In 1980, the film shocked audiences and reinvented the approach of horror. The collaborative effort was further emboldened by the addition of the Wizard of Gore effects, Tom Savini. Uh, I tracked uh, Tom Savini down. He was shooting the original Friday the 13th in New Jersey. And so Joe, myself, and uh, my producing partner, Andy Garoni, we got in the car and drove to uh, the location to meet with Tom Savini. And uh, we told Tom about the project. That we, and of course, we, uh, we told him we had no money, but he was willing to do it if we put him up in an apartment in New York because he had just broken up with a girl in Pittsburgh and didn't want to return to Pittsburgh after Friday the 13th rocked. So uh, that's how we got Tom Savini. Maniac was uh, on paper pretty vicious, but the stuff that you see in the movie wasn't on paper. That stuff resulted in me driving to New York and sitting in Bill Lustig's apartment with Joe Spinell and discussing them, and and then they were brainstorming and adding stuff, you know. And I would come up with stuff like I had this mask of myself. And I said, it'd be great to like plaster line that, fill it up with goodies, and there's some way just blow it with a shotgun, you know? And, uh, and that wound up by me playing disco boy and blowing off my own head. He studied Gacy and, you know, all these serial killers, and they come up with this composite character to do this. What Joe brought to the project was the insight into serial killers. <laughs> What I brought were the murder set pieces that were inspired by the films of Dario Argento, Mario Bava, and those sort of Italian giallo films. Maniac was made for $48,000 cash, six of which was money from Joe's salary on cruising, 12000 came from Andrew Garoni, and 30000 came from me. We pooled our money and figured if the train leaves the station, other people will jump on board. We wound up raising a grand total of 135000 in cash as we were making the movie. <clears throat> Maniac is a, <clears throat> a horror movie on, uh, that came out of the front pages, actually, on New York Post and uh, Daily News about a, a child who was abused by his mother who grew up, as many of them did, and uh, goes around whenever he gets twicked off uh, killing women. But it's a horror movie in the true sense of horror that we do all the effects completely on camera and they're all done it's kind of unique so if you don't like a lot of blood and gore don't come and see it but if you're interested in horror movies it certainly is the mr rupert do you like horror movies of all. <laughs> uh i yeah i enjoy horror movies i i'm not crazy about a lot of violence on the screen unless it's done with a certain amount of taste well, you know, there's more that... violence on TV news than there is in the movies. So I wouldn't worry about that. Two young men who were about to see Maniac said movies are fiction. It's real life that's scary. It bothers you to see some guy like Bitteker, for instance, who's convicted of doing torture and murder on young girls, but it doesn't bother you to see them. Well, no, not really. Because the movie, well, it's just a movie. It's fiction. But uh, in Bitteker's case, that's true. It freaks me out a little. Uh, this doesn't give you nightmares. No, 
woman, do you think it might? Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't be seen if I was a young woman. In doing Maniac, it was a couple of things that Joe wanted to do. One was to be a star of a film, but also as important to him as to be the producer. It's my first movie that uh, actually I co-produced with uh, Bill Lustig, the director, and Andy Garoni, the producer, two young boys, and uh, I wrote it and I starred in it, my first starring role. It's a horror movie. A lot of people, I'm sure, will not get off on it. My mother watches it like through her hand. I told you not to go out tonight, didn't I? Every time you go out, this kind of thing happens. This has got to stop. It's silly. And it's not getting us anywhere. You think they don't know? They do. I heard it, and I know. They all know. And I don't like it anymore. But you don't listen, do you? It's got to stop. Oh, you're right about them, all of them. They're all the same. I know what they're like. Just because I can't do the things you do doesn't mean I don't see it. All the same. Fancy smancy. And what are we supposed to do? Sit and smile and yes, miss, no, miss, not now, miss. Whenever you say miss, I know, I know how it is with their airs and their looks and their, 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 their they can drive a man crazy. I, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean it that way. It's just that they, they don't know when to stop. They never know when to stop. That's why they have to be stopped. It is, you're right, you're right. But not like that. Not that way. Please, they'll take you away from me. You have to be careful not to listen to me. We can't live like this. I have to go out. And each time it's like this. I get so scared that they'll take you away. But they won't if you do what I say. They won't take you away, not ever. Not ever. Ladies and gentlemen, William Lustig. I'd like to accept this award from the Horror Hall of Fame on behalf of Joe Spinell and, uh, and his memory. Uh, making this movie was, uh, I was 24 years old and I got to work with one of the great actors of all time. Um, didn't really know it at the time, but realized it afterwards that uh, he was um, somebody very special. And while we were making the movie, uh, Joe would continually tell me how the movie was going to be a classic. And, um, and he was right. It turned out to be a classic. Um, 
I was just happy if it played 42nd Street and Texas Drive-Ins. So um, I thank you again for the award, and uh, happy Halloween, everyone. Okay, we did it. We've made it to the end of this special. And I, honestly, there was a point where I did not think this was going to happen. Um, I want to thank you, the audience, for sticking with us this entire time, for being as gracious as you've been. Um, this, you know, and I'm, I'm going to just get a little personal just for a second, you know, before we get out of here. Um, this has been a personal dream of mine for a very long time. I was, uh, like I'd said at the beginning, a very young boy who loved this special, and I was utterly devastated when it went away. And this has been a dream come true, and a nightmare at the same time, to be able to put this together. And I, you know, I could not have done this were it not for the help of a few people and I just I'm gonna let you guys know right now I'm gonna get a little bit mouthy so if you guys want to start walking out uh, I'm about to say thank you to everybody that helped get this thing going uh, because there is a plethora of people that you know made this possible and I'm gonna start at the beginning with all of the wonderful celebrities and actors directors you know, filmmakers that gave of their time and appeared here to accept the awards and uh, for making these things that we all came to love and enjoy. Um, I'm going to start with, you know, our, our final inductee, William Lustig, who obviously did, you know, for me, just a landmark film maniac. Uh, you know, but it doesn't stop with William Lustig. Jaretta Jaretta is one of the most wonderful people I've ever fucking met in my life. And is just so kind, so sweet. Uh, Ira Hayden, uh, he is a wizard in more ways than one. You guys, you know him as the wizard master. I know him as a grand facilitator of, of some really important things for me. And he truly meant the world to me this year. So I, I can't say enough how grateful I am for Ira. Uh, Mick Strawn, just legitimately the funniest man I've ever met in my fucking life. He he always has something kind to say and always is giving to me and, and just caring. Uh, CJ Graham, one of the most intimidating people I've ever met in my life, but a sweetheart. A true and just genuine human being. Uh, Tom Matthews is as cool as you want him to be. That Tom Matthews is absolutely the cool fucking guy you expect Tom Matthews to be. He's all of it and more, you guys. And um, Tom McLaughlin, who is just, hey, like, never in a million years did I think that I would love Tom McLaughlin as much as I love Tom McLaughlin. And Tom, if you're listening to this, I fucking love you, guy. Um, Jonathan Tierston, same deal. It's just, I, I've had conversations with Jonathan that I never thought I would ever fucking have. 
an amazing father and a tennis player to boot, you guys. A really fucking great guy. Uh, Felissa Rose. Felissa has easily been one of the, the flag wavers for Creature Features for a very fucking long time. And it, it means a lot to me that she's, you know, was so gracious to come. Uh, but, you know, gracious and gratitude are, are words that I'm going to say a lot, especially when I talk about Nicholas Vince, who is single-handedly one of the most compassionate and, and giving human beings that has ever walked on this earth. And I've, I, I've said it to him in private, but I'm going to say it right now. I am utterly in his debt for being able to know him. And you guys should be too. He's an amazing filmmaker to boot in spite of being an actor. Um, definitely get into his life. Get into his world. You will be amazed at how fantastic the man is. Simon Bamford, again, just like Mick, is just easily just one of the funniest people I've ever fucking spoken to. And he's just, he fills you with joy the second that you speak to him. And uh, uh, something I say about Mick is, is absolutely fitting for him as well. He's like human candy. And Barbie Wilde is easily one of the most intelligent, unique individuals and creative minds that is going in this business. Has had a world of interesting things that have you know, happened for her, and I just, I can't say enough how grateful I am for all of those celebrities that were willing to be a part of this weird obsession that I have with a 90s television program. Uh, but they're not the only ones. They're, you know, the presenters tonight also just knocked it out of the park. Todd and Ashley, Mary Nunez, just, I, you know, I've said it before, Todd's like my best friend. Even if he doesn't look at me as his, Ed, and we'll get into that uh, at another point, but uh, definitely look out for their film, Death War 13. Uh, you know, go watch All Through the House. It, it's a fantastic film. Actually has Lito Velasco, who is another just, uh, just a true, just genuine individual. And uh, Dakota Thomas uh, was, he thanked me. He thanked me for being able to be a part of this, and and every single person that that thanked me, it's not me, you know. Thank you guys. Thank you, Vincent Desanti, who, who easily and I, I've I've said it pretty much to anybody that'll listen, made the greatest horror film of 2017. We highlighted some great films that came out this year, but the greatest horror film of 2017 is Never Hike Alone. And uh, I will I will say that until I'm blue in the face, because it is a return to form for Jason Voorhees, and I am forever in his debt for bringing a character that I loved back to life in a in a true way, and for being a, again a person that I consider a friend. Uh, two other women that I consider absolutely a friend. And their friendship has been one of the most rewarding experiences of 2017 for me. Uh, DeAndre Laser and Paige Joy are both, like, they reignited my admiration for all things Nightmare on the Street. 
and they're going to do the same for you guys because the Fred Heads documentary that they're working on is absolutely going to blow everybody's fucking hair back. If you haven't gone and liked their page, go like their page. Go fucking listen to Elm Street Radio. It is the the quintessential Nightmare on Elm Street podcast. There, there gets no better than Elm Street Radio. And they've only been doing it for a short amount of time, and they've put me on notice as a podcaster. So, you know, take that for what you will. Uh, PJ Starks, again, just a unique voice in the world of horror and bringing people along, you know, and, and giving opportunities to young filmmakers who wouldn't have them otherwise. And the Volumes of Blood series, if you haven't fucking watched it, again, these things are available VOD, you know, if you don't want to go into a brick and mortar. Go get Volumes of Blood. Put that in in your life because it is the most rewarding fucking anthology film that I've seen in a couple of fucking years. Uh, Drew Marvick. Uh, what can be said about Drew Marvick that hasn't been said about everything great that's ever been? Because he is everything great that's ever been. He's, he's kind, he's funny, and he's just fucking as cool as you want. Um, you know, I, thank you to all of you guys for, again, giving of your time and, you know, being excited for this dream that I've had and being a part of this dream. Um, podcast that I want you to subscribe to, the, the podcast that were so kind, that didn't have an ego, didn't, didn't think, I don't want to be a part of another person's podcast. They thought, this is a good idea and I want to be down with it. Uh, Black Hat Shadow, uh, Phantom Dark Dave, I, I said it when I introduced him, is a fucking friend. And um, Kaiju Cast, I want them to be friends because uh, I'm I'm just dipping my toe into the world of uh, Kaiju. And, you know, I, I love Tokusatsu, but Kaiju I'm just getting into. And they give you a beginner's guide, a walkthrough. They, they make it real for you, and they've made it very real for me. Uh, Beyond the Void, Alex is just, just, a, just the coolest fucking producer of podcasts. If you haven't listened to Beyond the Void, do yourself a favor. It's fucking magic. Horror Haven podcast, uh, Dylan and Sira, they already know what they mean to me, but let them mean that to you because their show is phenomenal. Uh, the Horror Mafia podcast, a very new podcast, but they're they're moving along really fucking fast and Don is just again fucking just as cool as you want somebody to be has been so kind to the Creature Features podcast and I thank them for being a part of this uh, a special thanks goes out to Lawrence DeVincent and Mike Murphy who were both very instrumental in the George Romero tributes portion of the show um, if you guys enjoyed that, you know, go check out Lawrence Vincent's Etsy page. Uh, go to a Living Dead weekend. Go to Monroeville Mall and have him host a tour for you. Uh, Mike Murphy is a part of the Badasses, Boobs, and Body, Body Count podcast. Uh, that's uh, bbnbcpodcast.com. Uh, fucking get into that because it is, again... 
one of the greats and then I, I, I can't say enough about our house band tonight first Jason Ari Lehman and first Jason rocked it all fucking night and I'm eternally grateful for them doing that you know go purchase their new album to be a monster it's available now wherever you fucking buy music purchase it do not steal it buy it because it's important you support the good ones and he is one of the good ones uh and you know i i have to you know specifically say the lovely and talented uh my queen i i bow to her on bended knee whenever she gives me the opportunity queen malvolia the queen of screams uh, i'm so grateful for her co-hosting this show with me and again you know giving this fat kid a chance to live a dream um i, I also want to thank my wife because you know she's given me three wonderful children and uh the drive to go for this goal you know all of anything you've ever heard me do is because she is the my initial inspiration to go for this uh and my podcast wife mr msr and he, he can get upset at me when he hears this but i fucking love you dude and I cannot wait for us to fucking roll again. Um, you're, you know, you guys are everything to me. Uh, I know that this was wordy, it was long-winded, but this, this meant something to me. And I know it was a long episode, but I can't thank you guys enough. But that's gonna do it for us. So, we will see you again in 2018 for the 2018 Horror Hall of Fame. For all of the inductees, for all of the presenters, and for myself, again, my name is Chunky. This has been the 2017 Horror Hall of Fame on GeeksOfTheIndustry.com, Stitcher, and Apple Podcast. Listen with someone you trust. <laughs>